Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. tempted to actually like start some sort of like count like i don't know what day this would be is this covid 19 day six day 20 i don't know so i can't really do that so i don't i don't really have a way for us to sort of gauge where we are in this process i can say this it's early it's early if you were to think of um a baseball game which ordinarily has nine innings. <clears throat> um, we're we're like in the first inning, or maybe the second. Maybe maybe I'll maybe I'll be the inspiration of hope this morning and say we're in the second inning of a nine inning game. Um, and so yesterday I had some several very difficult conversations with people I dearly love. My uh, my difficult conversation with my elderly parents was, let's say, not particularly successful in its outcome. And so last evening, my husband called and had a similar, very direct conversation with my elderly parents. Um, you know, they're over 80. It's time for them to uh, recognize the acute risk um, of, of this and to stay home. Uh, I had to have a difficult conversation. Well, I don't know. I, I Maybe that wasn't a difficult conversation with my sister. Um, I had a conversation with my sister yesterday that raised difficult concerns. And um, one of the things she said, which I think is very astute, uh, this is going to get really old really fast. She's right. Um, have you ever been in a ball game, like a nine-inning baseball game, softball game maybe? Softball's my heritage. Like I played softball growing up. I was actually fairly good at it, and so I got to play most of the year because after the regular season, there was the postseason, and then there was the all-star season, and I played in all of those all throughout my growing up uh, and through high school. And and growing up in Florida, that meant really pretty much you could play year-round. So um, I remember growing up, my sister, who did not play softball, <clears throat> but obviously as a child in our family, was therefore forced to go to lots of games over lots of weeks and months and years. And um, ball games got really old really fast for her. This is similar, right? This is going to get really old really fast. And it's going to get really old really fast or faster for some people than others. Let's keep that in mind. Uh, and I had to have a difficult conversation yesterday with a friend who, I don't know, at some level seems to think that um, she and her family don't necessarily have to follow the rules that all of the rest of us are diligently seeking to uh, apply and live by. And um, so, you know, we're literally all in this together. And the choices that you make actually do affect everyone else right now, everyone else. And so, no, you can't pack up and go act like this is a vacation. That is not what this is about. Um, 
And so I think that when we talk about conversations that we need to be having with one another, we need to be having sober, honest conversations with one another. Um, We need to do so in gentleness and love, but we need to be honest. And certainly with our kids, we need to keep talking. Let them ask questions. Ask them questions. Um, No, this is not a vacation. Uh, Yes, we are going to continue working. You are going to continue doing your schoolwork. Yes, there will be new chores and new opportunities here in the household to keep everything working. And no, you are not going um, out for a play date or to a friend's house or to the movies or, frankly, anywhere else. Life is uh, already very difficult in ways that we could not have anticipated just a few weeks ago. But God is still God. So there's some things that have not changed. Um, Wisdom and your access to it has not changed. And so let me just encourage you today in terms of uh, a family plan and neighborhood engagement and how you're going to continue engaging with your church. It's time to sit down and talk if you have not done so already. Many things remain unknown. How long things are going to be closed, how long it will be before we can go back to what we think is normal, um, how this is going to impact your school year, your work schedule, um, the ministries you're engaged in, your local church, the annual conference, which has now been canceled, which was the sole support of the ministry you're engaged in. I don't know. We don't know. We don't know lots of things. But some things we do know. We know God. We know God. And we know that God can be trusted. And God can be trusted to be God. And God is good. His steadfast love never changes. And his mercies never come to an end. So I want us to consider this an unprecedented opportunity to share the goodness of who God is with people who do not know. They do not know. So I'm going to talk about that up next with Pastor Daryl Crouch. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Joining me now is uh, Pastor Daryl Crouch. He's the pastor of the Green Hill Church. You can find his writings at crosstide.org. The word cross and then tide, like I tied my shoes, crosstide.org. Daryl, welcome back. Thanks, Carmen. It's good good to be with you. So a couple of weeks ago, I might have anticipated that we were just going to be talking about, wow, the incredible response of the people of Middle Tennessee, the way they have mobilized uh, in um, in the aftermath of devastating tornadoes. I do want to talk about that. I do want an update. But then uh, the coronavirus arrived in ways that none of us could have anticipated. You have a uh, a piece posted at crosstide.org entitled Recreating a Better Future Together. Um, let's talk about that. Yeah, it has been an incredible uh, time for our community. We know every community has been affected by the coronavirus. Before that, we did face um, the devastation of a tornado. And so we're taking one thing after the other and and just seeing our city uh, come together, seeing our churches and pastors uh, pray for one another and work together has has really been incredible. It has been an awful time. Uh, it's been devastating on a number of uh, kinds of levels, but it's also been, Carmen, just a beautiful time that we've seen God's people and uh, in our community, frankly, um, rally together in a way that uh, r- really does give us, should give us a lot of hope and a lot of encouragement uh, as we go forward. 
So a couple of Saturdays ago, my community group, um, which is you know a bunch of families with little kids, we all went to uh, a church member's house who she lost about 30 trees uh, mm-hmm. during the tornado. She lives in Hermitage. And um, in the follow-up, which you know now is all online, right? Our group doesn't get together to meet. But in the follow-up, literally the kids in our, in our families and, and the adults as well, like they're testifying like that was the best community group day we ever had, right? Because yeah. we got to be together in community doing something on behalf of somebody who we love, who could not do it for herself. Um, and, and we got to see God move. I mean, when the insurance adjuster showed up and literally he was slack-jawed, mm-hmm. right? He yeah. could not believe that God's people had shown up to do what we were doing. And he testified to the fact that everywhere he had been that day, there was a group of church people helping. And that's a testimony to the world, like, right? That is, that is making the name of God great in the world. Uh, absolutely. We had the same experience at a, a church member's uh, home or what was their, their home. And uh, the insur- insurance adjuster said the same thing. Who are all these people? Uh, this, uh, Carmen, this is our moment. This is what we're hardwired for. This is what we've been created for. This is why we've been left here. Uh, we are not a people unequipped for a difficulty. Um, the Holy Spirit has been given to us. Uh, Jesus has has uh, left us not alone. He has left us a helper who is our guide. He's our teacher. He's our comforter. I mean, we're built for this. This is our moment. And so I think um, discouragement and, and is, is an obvious response to, to difficulty. And we can have moments that we're, we're feeling down. But uh, as, a, as a whole, the people of God have been left here on the planet for, for, for moments like this. So um, when we come back from the break, I want to talk about these three ways that we can rebuild something better than ever. Um, I think you and I share the share the understanding that what God is doing right now is is catapulting the kingdom forward in ways that we could have not made happen ourselves. So how do we as the people of God um, function in what are very difficult days, but really what is a great gospel opportunity? So we come back. uh, Pastor Daryl Crouch and I are going to talk about three ways we can rebuild something better than ever. You can find it at crosstide.org. We'll be right back. All right, I'm talking with Pastor Daryl Crouch. We have seen sunny days that we thought would never end. And, um, and then now we seem to be living in some shadow times, some shadow lands for a lot of people. Daryl, give us um, give us the good news in the midst of all of this, and then let's talk through these three ways that we can rebuild something better than ever. Yeah, I appreciate that, and we we do uh, live in this um, unique time that is a great opportunity for us. And so we, I think, believers, we should we should have reason to be hopeful. We are people of hope, and we know how this is going to go uh, in the end. And so we can live not in a Pollyanna way, but I really think we can live with with hope, and and also I think we're uh, we're built to love our neighbor. Uh, the great commandment that Jesus gave, he gave long before any of this uh, tumult came along, and so uh, I think we we have an opportunity to love our neighbor. And so uh, the article that you mentioned is just a uh, it's a really a local article <clears throat> given to encourage my neighbors and uh, that live in my community, uh, but I think it has um, has widespread implications. And so I'm happy to yeah happy to walk through that. Yeah, I, I'd love that. Um, I appreciate that, you know, one of the things you acknowledge is we all are like sort of asking, well, when are things going to, quote, get back to normal, get back to the way they were? And the reality is we're yeah. not going back to the way things were. We're going yeah. forward into, you know, whatever 
positive future God has planned for us, and we have to be the people who help build that. So um, you lead off with keep keep caring about the same things. Talk about that. Well, uh, the uh, and that is true. I, I think we we have to in, in a difficulty. Uh, forces us to innovate. And uh, I think it forces all of us to think about, and from biblical perspective, what's God doing in us. And so uh, the tornado that came through our town or the, the virus that affects us, it really isn't a political issue or even a religious issue. There's there's a lot of things that divide us. And we've, we've talked about this before. I've written a lot about it and read a lot about it and learning from folks that are ahead of me. But um, uh, we, we don't all believe the same things, and we can be, live in such a polarized community, uh, whether it's Facebook groups that are arguing with one another or whatever it is. And um, a tornado doesn't really care who you voted for. Um, and um, so, so people of all kinds are affected by these tragedies. And I think as a, as a community, we can say, you know, we may not all believe the same things um, in every sector of our community, but we all care about the same things. We all care about kids being taken care of and single moms and elderly folks being taken care of. We all care about rebuilding the two schools, the two public schools we lost, as well as two private schools here locally. We care about rebuilding those. We care about the kids and the families that are affected and the child care issues that that um, uh, are a result of the split schedule that the schools are going to have to have now and uh, until they rebuild. And we care. We all care about those things. So I think if we can keep caring about the same things, we'll make a lot more progress. And people of faith, um, God's people, will have an opportunity, a greater opportunity to cross barriers that we would never have opportunity otherwise. So, you know, it's just a, 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 it wasn't very many weeks ago, right, that I'm in Sunday school and one of our students in middle school, you know, she's sharing as a prayer concern that her school is one of the ones that no longer exists, right? I mean, they didn't know how they were going to rebuild it. Um, yeah. Obviously, the very, the very next week, we didn't even have Sunday school because we didn't have a worship service and, you know, churches, quote unquote, closed. Um, but we have been continuing to interact, obviously, with our students um, through social media and online. And what she acknowledged was everybody's now experiencing what she was experiencing. Like she felt like yeah. she got a head start on the conversation yeah. about what is it like for her school to not be available and her not be able to gather with her friends and on and on. She felt like God gave her a head start on that. That was her perspective on now everybody is out of school. Nobody's going to school um, and I got a head start on thinking about thinking about that and thinking through that. So I do think perspective um, in the midst of yeah. all of this is is really healthy. I love that. And we yeah, we we feel like we were positioned in this community for for the challenges that the virus has, has given to us. And because of that, and that, that's a great uh, perspective that she had. And uh, I think we we have, we were already coming together. We were already communicating with one another. We were already adjusting our lives and so that sure helped us. And, and I think just uh, being uh, aware that there are people who are vulnerable around us and, and, and they weren't vulnerable or they didn't appear to be vulnerable a month ago, but we understand that they are now. And uh, we all are in some way. And so we've all been affected. So it just seems like if, if we can continue to have that kind of missionary mindset that the people around us uh, have real needs, and we all care about those same same things. And the things that divide us don't have to be in the on, on in the forefront of our thinking. They're important, and we there's a place to debate uh, policy issues and religious issues. But um, we, as a community, we can come together around the things that we care about. 
So in addition to continue caring about the things that we have been caring about, continue to care about the same things, we need to continue giving until everyone flourishes. I think that the um, the call to generosity and um, not hoarding is is going to be really, really important in this conversation. So tell us about that. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. I think what we saw and what we've still seen, I, I have uh, money that's coming into my church all the time, uh, not for my church, but through my church to give to for tornado relief. And we have other nonprofit organizations in our community that are just being flooded with generosity, uh, with people being open-handed. I get calls from North Carolina or from Alabama saying, where can I send my check? And that is so encouraging. And um, and local businesses and governments and churches have been super generous. And I think that's really important financially. There's no way around that. That's really what people need. Um, not, maybe not most. They need prayer and the presence of the Holy Spirit the most. But finances are huge at this point. But my, my contention is that this kind of generos- generosity should mark our lives going forward in ways uh, that that that. Uh, look a little similar to to now. For example, we're making room in our schedules now for people who are homeless, for example. We're very open to having people uh, in our homes uh, who don't have a place to stay, whether that be extended family members or neighbors, church members, whoever that may be. Uh, We're taking care of elderly people in a way, and we're attentive to them in a way that we weren't a month ago. So I think for us to reorder our lives, and you talk about how things will change going forward, I think to reorder our lives so that we're creating margin in our lives. In Wilson County alone, we have about 600 kids, students who are homeless. Now, they're not all living under a bridge. They're they're moving from couch to couch to couch of friends' houses. But almost 600 kids won't have somebody ordering their graduation robes and graduation invitations. The, the, the 600 kids that don't have... Um, that aren't on their parents' insurance, for example. We, we just have a lot of students and a lot of families who are hurting all the time before a tornado or a virus came through. So I think if we can reorder our lives and uh, say, I'm going to create space in my life uh, for hurting people, uh, that's going to build a better future. All right. We need a um, we not we might need a post at crosstide.org just specifically about that reordering our lives um, to create space for those who are going to be internally displaced among us. We haven't seen them. They've been our unseen neighbors up until now. Um, we're going to start seeing them more and more and more. We are going to begin experiencing here in the United States of America internally displaced people by the coronavirus. Yeah. And we need to. We, we, we might need to post on that at crosstide.org just, you know, because yeah. you don't have anything else to do today. Okay. <laughs> um, keep, keep cooperating so that we serve our neighbors better for longer. Yeah, I love this. This is something that God has uh, just erupted in my life and developed. And we, we've seen um, members of every sector of our society come together. And we, we've been working with this for a long time. You and I have talked about Everyone's Wilson and uh, the coalition of churches that are seeking the welfare of our city. And, and uh, there's a lot of churches involved in that, but there's also a lot of other churches that haven't connected to Everyone's Wilson specifically, but are still super cooperative. And then there's government agencies and school leaders. And uh, when we walked into the room uh, after the tornado uh, at City Hall, a lot of us already knew each other. We already had a relationship across sectors in our community. And that uh, accelerated our recovery efforts. It accelerated the response and accelerated the recovery efforts. And so simply, I'm, I'm simply asking the question, what can we do to take that to the next step? 
uh, that churches are leading the way, that pastors are leading the way in their community of crossing every sector of their community in the business area and commerce, uh, healthcare, technology, education, nonprofit, government, and so on, so that uh, we're we're effectively serving our community together. That again, we all care about the same thing. So let's create networks of cooperation where we can learn from each other. We can understand who's helping where and how we can already join what it seems God is already doing. And so I think um, these networks of cooperation developing uh, deeper roots and farther uh, reach is absolutely imperative going forward. And I would just say this, Carmen, as well, that we've ask our people, like our, our our church members, Christians, believers, to engage people in every sector of this community to make disciples of Jesus. We want you to make disciples of Jesus where you live, work, and play. That's the vernacular we've used. Well, this moment, there, there's no greater moment than this, than to, to exercise our faith that way and to live that out. And so that's my hope uh, from a gospel perspective that people would con- continue to develop relationships beyond their church family and into every domain of our community to make disciples of Jesus. Daryl, I appreciate every single conversation that we have. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. Blessings upon you and your efforts, not only in Wilson County, but in helping to equip others to do what you guys are doing. You guys should te- check out everyone's everyoneswilson.org, and you can find the blog that we talked about today at crosstide.org. We'll be right back. All right. So why are things so different here in the United States of America than around the world in terms of um, our response to the coronavirus? Things are different here. There's no doubt about that. Why are things different here? That's one of the conversations I'm going to have up next with Dr. Hunter Baker. We're going to talk about why America is a little different from every other place under heaven as we respond to the coronavirus, precisely because, well, frankly, America, we're a little different. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. What do you want your kids to be like in 10 or 15 years? What qualities are you hoping they'll acquire? With that in mind, how should you train your child today to reach that long-range goal? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. As a mom or dad of a teenager, it's easy to get caught up in the day-to-day pressures of managing a family. Your target should be to raise a responsible adult, not necessarily a compliant teenager. So when you're in the heat of the battle, keep your eyes on the horizon. A weak and docile teenager might simplify your life, but becoming a responsible adult is far better. And some days it may get messy. Hang in there. Your hard work will deliver rich rewards. When all else fails, moms and dads turn to Mark Gregston for help. Equip yourself with the wisdom you need to succeed at parentingtodaysteens.org. Joining me now, Dr. Hunter Baker. You can find him pretty much all over the place at Hunter Baker. Uh, Joining us from Union University, but I'm betting that you are joining us um, probably not from the university campus and things are not um, sort of operating as usual. Uh, Things are not operating as usual. However, uh, your faithful correspondent does have to go to the university (laughs) because I'm the dean of arts and sciences 
and uh, the university is still operating. Um, so faculty, you know, some faculty are there using the technology. Uh, others are at home. The students, many of them are in the dorms. Uh, we just aren't gathering for classes, you know, putting people in, in small rooms together um, or large rooms and large numbers of people. And uh, so, you know, but I kind of have to be there as a symbol that we're still operating. We're still doing this thing. Okay. Well, we're glad. I mean, that's that's the reality, right? People are still doing their core essential things, particularly in the area of, of education. They're just doing it differently. And um, I'm thankful right. for technology um, because we would really not be able to do what we are currently doing and carry on with the education of of generations um, were it not for the technology that's available today. So, um, you know, I'm thankful for that. Yeah, we at least have we at least have an option. Um, I mean, you know, it's obviously not optimal. Um, and as you know, it's it's interesting. You know, all these universities uh, put out a statement, very sort of a casual statement that we're moving our operations online. <laughs> but the reality is, <laughs> the reality is, is that I, I think eighty percent or more of the American professoriate are not ready to do that. Uh, and so it is a very steep learning curve. And, you know, I'm a fairly tech savvy person, but I haven't been teaching online. Um, so even for the one class that I teach, I've had a pretty rapid learning curve, a steep, rapid learning curve. And, uh, you know, I was scrambling even yesterday because when this semester started, I had set up a highly participative model for my class. Uh, if I was doing one of my more typical lecture type classes, it would have been easy. But so I had to figure out a way to to model a participative class online. That's a challenge. And a lot of people are going to be facing that. Absolutely. I think that um, becoming students of the next generation who actually know how to use some of these online platforms better than some of us do, uh, like we need to become students in some cases of our of our students. All right, I want to talk with you, um, Hunter, about why America is a little different in terms of our response to the coronavirus. What is it that is different about America in terms of the way we have structured ourselves and the way that we function that actually makes our response to the coronavirus uh, unique and different? Well, I think a lot of people have uh, struggled with this question of how uh, maybe dictatorial Donald Trump should be about it. Um, you know, sometimes you almost see outrage that, that he is not just sort of centralizing all command and control and dealing with the virus. But the problem is, is that is not really, that is not really the way the United States is set up to work. Uh, the United States is set up to work in a decentralized fashion. Um, Federalism is something that sounds like the federal government controls everything, but what it really means is, is that authority is divided between the federal government and the states. And so, uh, so a lot of the response to this crisis has been driven by decisions at the local and state levels. Uh, so that's just a little bit different, right? I mean, it's funny because people who uh, you would argue have been terrified that Donald Trump would be some kind of dictator are now openly yearning for it. Uh, <laughs> so that's that's kind of the unique thing about the U.S. We're not we're not made to be a super top down uh, country, but 
a response to a crisis like this may eventually demand that. In fact, we may already be there. Let's just take um, the response of uh, the New York, the governor of the state of New York, as an an example of what we're talking about. So, where a few weeks ago, if the um, Republican uh, president of the United States of America had told the governor of New York that the federal government was coming in and taking over and and going to tell them how to do things and going to, um, I mean, you know, really going to upend. New York City itself and, you know, on and on and on. I feel like the Democrat governor of New York would have resisted that vociferously. Um, and, and, and yet now we see him inviting the military in to support his hospital network. We see him being openly critical of the federal government for not um, taking over and intervening in ways that he as a governor was uh, allowed to have the liberty to do. It is challenging. I do think, Hunter, it reveals what would happen, what would happen should, let's say, that particular individual ever become the president of the United States, because he clearly thinks that as president of the United States, you have the right to march all over state rights. Like, I I do think there's a conversation in here that gives us a picture into what life might look like in the United States of America if a person who thinks we should have socialized medicine and a person who thinks that the federal government should have uh, the right to tell individual locales exactly what to do and how to do it. We get a little window into that. Yeah, I think that's true. But, you know, the other thing is, is that some of this reveals to us the the nature of this crisis. Uh, I am married to a physician and you know, I have gone through all of the stages. Uh, at one point, I made a Facebook post about the stages of grief over the coronavirus. Uh, and one of the stages of grief is, you know, it's the flu. It's not even as bad as the flu, right? You know, why are we why are we doing all this? And what I have what I have come to realize is is that the problem is this. Th- they call this a novel virus, uh, meaning that it is new to human beings. And that means we don't have immunity. And so it presents this opportunity for spreading at a rate much faster than our health system can accommodate. And that's what's happened in Italy, where you have people kind of dying in hallways and, you know, there are not enough uh, ventilators for people who need them and things like that. And so all of this really authoritarian, almost sort of response uh, is in an attempt to meet that crisis. And, and, by definition, almost any crisis of, of, of a large enough magnitude would result in uh, this kind of additional power for the federal government. Um, so I'm kind of not surprised it's happening. This, this is a pretty big deal. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So uh, words of wisdom on Mornings with Carmen uh, on the 18th of March by Hunter Baker this is really a pretty big deal. Yeah. With the, with that, we're going to take a very brief break. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about a little bit why America is also different because of our free market economy and the impacts that we're going to discuss some of the impacts related to that. Um, and we're also going to talk about the response of the government. What um, What is happening in Washington, D.C.? There are three bills. One has already passed. Two are, uh, well, a, a second one is on its way through. A third one is yet being conceived. We're going to talk a little bit about that when we come back. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen.
Okay, because people are asking, I have uh, dutifully scrolled through Hunter Baker's Facebook feed. Here are the stages of grief related to the coronavirus, uh, according to Dr. Hunter Baker, with whom we are speaking now. Everyone has to go through the stages of grief on the coronavirus, stage one. This is another one of those international problems that will go away soon. Stage two, that would be denial. Stage two, it's the flu. It's the flu. Just not as, but not as bad. Uh, Why is everybody freaking out? Stage three. Why am I out of toilet paper? Stage four, I now understand that if ev- if everyone gets it at once, there will be people dying in hallways because 1% of 100 million is still a huge number. Yes, math. I think stage four could have just been math. Um, <laughs> stage five, my body bubble is six feet in every direction. Mm-hmm. Stage six, why is my Amazon statement so freaking huge? There you go. Amen. There's the state. That's six stages right. Of that's that's what happens when you stay home. Yeah, when you stay um, home, the Amazon bill gets large. My um my my credit score like dropped. I'm like, what's going on? They're like, well, <laughs> your your numbers are going up in ways they've not gone up before. I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. Okay, so let's talk about what makes America unique, a little bit different in terms of our response because we have the economy that we have. Oh, yeah. I mean, and and this is actually an occasion to be grateful. Uh, You look at somewhere like Italy. uh, Italy has they have, uh, you know, quote unquote, universal health care. But a lot of times universal health care means scarcity and waiting and lack of availability. Uh, One thing that's interesting. So in Italy, they're overwhelmed. Uh, In the U.S., one thing I'm grateful for, our health care system is expensive. There's no question about that. and, you know, but it has certain market forces in it, uh, and that is going to serve us well in this crisis because we probably have per capita triple the uh, intensive care unit capacity of a place like Italy. So if if we get swamped with this thing like Italy, and hopefully we're avoiding that with all the steps that we've taken, uh, we have a much greater capacity to deal with it than they than they do. All right. Let's talk about how our federal government is responding. Phase one bill passed earlier this month. That was an eight point three billion dollar sort of emergency package response. A phase two bill has now passed the House and is going to the Senate. Tell us uh, tell us what's in that. Well, uh, let's just let's just bring it all together. Right. I mean, okay. every that's because see, you that like math. I don't really like math. So Go ahead. Bring it all together. <laughs> no, well, I mean, I just I want to deal with the variety of approaches uh, that they are taking. The problem is, is that you're you're constantly aiming at economic growth, right? You're constantly trying to uh, expand the number of things that people can do, and to to grow the size of the pie, and to make everybody better off. But when those numbers start to roll in the wrong way, when when those numbers start to go backwards, we call it recession or depression. That can be extremely painful, right? Because what that does is that that results in lots of people losing their jobs, um, lots of businesses not being able to pay their bills and having to close. And it's just like a big domino type reaction, right? And so you can easily see how uh, if the restaurants have to shut down uh, their their dining areas <clears> – <throat> If the theaters have no one in them, uh, I think I just read that AMC Theater is going to shut down. Um, If people are not traveling, uh, all of the airlines are at risk. Hotels are at risk. 
everybody who's in the hospitality or conference industry is at risk. Uh, you know, so you can just imagine the effects that spread out through the economy when that happens. Uh, uh, so with that, they're trying to find a way to reduce the damage that comes from our response to the virus. I mean, we're, we're doing this thing to try to stop the spread of the virus, but the economic impacts are powerful. And so what's happening, that's part of why some people are denying it so strongly is because they don't, they don't want to see us crater the economy, but I'm not sure that we have any other choice. And so the federal government, uh, through the Fed, through Congress, uh, is trying to flood the economy with government money to try to retard, uh, to retard the, the economic effects that are going to hit us. And so those things range from uh, money to particular industry to loans to small businesses to, uh, to the Fed buying lots of securities to try to prop up the market – um, to maybe eventually sending sending thousand dollar checks to every American. I mean, the number of possibilities uh, is is great, and that's that's what you're seeing right now is is the Fed and Congress and the President uh, rushing to try to find a way to uh, keep the economy rolling while we're all staying at home. All right, let's um, let's talk about some of just the impacts that people are experiencing. You know, just when you're just talking with you know, in your casual everyday conversations, what would you say for most people is the greatest surprise or the greatest disruption or the thing they're having the most difficult time figuring out how to deal with? I mean, the one that strikes me as the most obvious, and maybe this is from my own experience, is childcare. Uh, you know, as soon as the schools close down, that that creates uh, that creates a very big problem for a lot of people. Uh, you know, think about the number of families where the husband and wife work. Uh, that's my family. Uh, that has been my family. Um, and I think about every time the schools closed because of snow or, you know, some teacher day or whatever else, it was a crisis for us. And we had to figure out how to address it. Uh, we didn't have grandparents living in town or anything like that. And so if you just think about the schools of this country closing down for a month and maybe more, what that does to working parents, uh, I think that's probably the the biggest disruption uh, in addition to the economic effects that I talked about. And I think that both the phase two and phase three bills that Congress is is, uh, is moving through do seek to address um, that concern and that issue that people are having, you know, paid leave. And part of that paid yeah. leave would be in, in relationship to how are they going to provide child care for their kids while they're out of school? Um, yes. the, the disruption for students is going to be significant. Um, and so we're going to want to circle back around with you on that topic uh, in the coming weeks. So we look forward to those ongoing conversations. Thank you so much, Hunter Baker from Union University. You guys can find him on all the social medias at Hunter Baker. Obviously, check out his Facebook feed because he seems to be very active there and that's where you can find um, the stages of grief of the coronavirus that I read through. He's also got some fun videos posted there um, by academicians who are trying to figure out how to actually go online. It's it's funny. All right. Hey, thanks, Hunter. Thank you. We'll be right back. Okay, I'm going to give you a few sort of in the meantime uh, headlines here very quickly. Um the Syrian civil war has entered its 10th year. 
When we think about the things that we're dealing with here, uh, I just want you to consider that 10 years ago, Syria entered into a civil war that didn't just internally displace people, but um, took the lives of many, many people. The, the disruption that the Syrians have experienced and the countries surrounding them has been enormous. You think about the refugee flows and on and on. Um, the locust, the locusts are still on the move. You remember that? We talked about this a few weeks ago. Well, seven East African countries have now been decimated by these uh, locust swarms in Pakistan. Farmers are pleading for help. Uh, the headline reads, our children will starve and then so will you. Um, so we have um, uh, we have headlines related to the locusts. If you just want to Google locusts, you want some news that's a little different than coronavirus and you want some uh, pray the news headlines today, Google the word locust. Um, it is headed for Israel. It will arrive in Israel by Passover. I know it gives us an opportunity to consider the gospel. It gives us an opportunity to talk about the fact that shadows and darkness absolutely, absolutely suggest that there's a light source, a powerful light source. You and I know the one who is the light. Um, we know the name of Jesus. We know the hope of salvation. We know the good news of the gospel. And these are the days in which we have the opportunity to share him with others. Um, so never forget, never forget that you are a person um, who knows the hope of salvation and that many, many others do not. And so when we face um, the news of the day with faith, others face it with fear, and we are the ones who can help them to understand that in the end of all of this, the fear of the Lord is actually the beginning of wisdom. Let's start those conversations today. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.